Well, greetings everyone, happy to see you. I'm up here, don't worry. I started preparing about eight o'clock last night. We should get at least a couple verses through. <laughs> so I had a little story before we kind of got started. So you know with all this COVID stuff, we're worried about people getting sick. And uh, a few months ago, back in January, the thought popped into mind, oh no, what if Pastor Jared and Pastor Joe get sick? I go, who's coming up here then? And well, it'd probably be me. So I sent a text over to Pastor Jared and told him, you guys can't get sick at the same time. It just does not work like that. And he texts me back. He goes, don't worry about it at all. We'll get sick, on, we'll get sick but we won't tell you till Saturday. So you won't have time to stress about it. <laughs> so I text him back. I go, well, if you do that to me, I'm going to pull out every youth pastor trick in the book. I'm going to show a video. We're going to stop midway through. You're going to get to talk to the person right next to you. <laughs> and finally, we'll end early, and you'll all break out into small groups based off of gender and age. <laughs> Which he responded, Go for it. <laughs> so here's a video. Okay, I'm not getting the video up, but I'm going to open this up in prayer before we hit into Mark chapter 8. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for this day, and this prayer that we give is the same one we hear in the book of John, which is for you to increase and for us to decrease, for you to be that, that perfect God you are, that tool that we want to be the one that you use to speak and do what you want us to do. Please bless this reading in Mark as it's going to be amazing in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I got something for you. So this was my first hockey stick ever. I got it in eighth grade. It's actually not the top of the line hockey stick. I don't know if you guys can see over there. Yeah. Good. Okay, so this is, there's what's called flex, and this doesn't have any flex at all. This is literally a piece of wood, and it's not the greatest thing ever. I bought it first. I was hoping to grow into it. <laughs> that was 10 years ago. I'm still hoping. And, um, and I kept wondering when I'd be on the ice. I didn't have the best equipment, and I kept wondering, if only I had the best equipment, then I would be the best player. My dream was to be the California Wayne Gretzky. That's, I wanted to be that top hockey player. And finally, it happened. Let me grab something else. My parents had saved up and had bought me this hockey stick. This was top of the line for back then. Uh, it's not anymore. They had much more realistic expectations <laughs> about where I'd be at. And... It was top of the line, but it didn't change anything. I was still hoping to be great, and I had everything, but I didn't feel quite there yet. Today, I still do the same thing. If only I had a career, a great career, if I had a bunch of money, if I was living on my own, possibly a wife on fire for the Lord, then everything would be great. In the future, I get a house, Great job, a career that's, you know, blossoming. You know, the same, maybe children on fire for the Lord. I get older. Maybe it's great-grandchildren. A 401k, retirement. The house is paid off. That would be, whew, that would be a great one. Um, 
But if I had all these things, would it fulfill my life? I want to take a look at God's word today and see what should fulfill our life. So we're going to start at verses 11 through 13 in Mark chapter 8. It says, And the Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, demanding from him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation demand a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. <laughs> and leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side. Now, I want to talk about these Pharisee dudes real quick. A quick reminder of who they are. They are the religious leaders at the time there in Israel. And their job was they were taking what's called the Mosaic Law, which was kind of that beginning stages, and they were adding on top of it. And they were doing it, and by doing that, they could call other people out. And when they called other people out, it built them up. It built their kingdom higher. It built their pride. They were in charge. They liked it. Then this dude, Jesus, came and kind of wrecked their system. He came in and told them that what they're doing is not what God had said. This is not what he is saying. And he messed up their system, and they hated that. I want you to think of whenever you've maybe played a game with a grandchild or a child or a friend, and when you're playing the game and you're about ready to win, they change the rules. <laughs> I want you to think of that. Okay, and then you start to pick up on their new rules, and you start to get the hang of it, and you start to win again, and then they change the rules again. That's what these Pharisees were doing to the people. And, you know, in the middle of the game, you know, you'd have a teacher or a parent would come in and set it all straight, or maybe a spouse, and that's what Jesus did. He came in and set them straight. And, of course, they did not really like that. And these Pharisees did not like Jesus. And they would go up to him when he would do miracles, when he would do signs, when he would teach, and they would try to mess him up, get him twisted, get him to say the wrong thing. Uh, if you've read the Bible or any portions, you know it does not work. They are never successful. But they had seen miracles. They've heard him teach. That generation had probably seen more miracles from God than any other generation in history. So when it came in at verse 12 where it said, Jesus sighed in the spirit. He knew that having another miracle would not change their heart. They had seen and heard so much already. And that's not what they wanted. If we look closer at the, you know, verse 12, in that sigh deeply, that's not Jesus, a, a teenager who's upset with their parents. That's Jesus feeling bad. He knows nothing would convince them. He knew nothing would convince them that he's the savior, that their pride, that they had these blinders up. Their love for power, their love for themselves would not allow them to change came to save these people, all of those people, and he knew he couldn't change it for them. Now, we don't want to be like those Pharisees. We don't want to have those spiritual blinders up. We don't want to be so focused in on ourselves, on our pride, that we can't do anything. We can't help others, right? But sometimes we do it. Not that it's a good thing. Sometimes we focus in on ourselves. I know I do it. I've heard even Pastor Jared does it. Sometimes you may put yourself first. Now, a great way to solve thinking about yourself first is by putting others first, serving them. 
Uh, and when I people, think of people here on campus who serve always, I think of Jimmy and Irene James. Like, it's not even close for me. Uh, for some of you who don't know, I am not a fan of heights. My knees shake when I go up on ladders past six feet. It's not a good thing. And I'll call Jimmy just to hang something up, just, you know, up on the thing, and he's right there. And that's a man who serves like Jesus serves. He's putting God first. And when you put others first, putting God first, you, can't fo- you don't focus on yourself as much. Now, we know Jesus served people constantly, helping everyone by performing miracles. Though sometimes his disciples would kind of forget that he does these great miracles. So I'm looking at verse 14 and 15. And the disciples had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he gives orders to them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and beware of the leaven of Herod. In verse 15, Jesus is telling the disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Does this mean he wants us to be like afraid of bread? No, that's not what he's saying. Actually, Paul tells us more about it in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 7. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. And you are really unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So I got to do a little research on leaven, and it's kind of like yeast. And if you don't know what happens in bread when you put too much yeast in it, First off, it becomes very unmalleable. You can't move the dough as much. It doesn't work. The next thing is it becomes very gaseous, and it's going to give it kind of a different taste. It may not be what you're used to in bread. And finally, it ruins the bread. And what Paul is talking about here is he's talking about sin. And within the sin, it may start off small, but it can become bigger and bigger and bigger if not kept in check. Same thing with our pride. And that will make a life without peace. And sin can even destroy a small church or a big church, anything, because sin can take such a foothold. And we don't want to be in a life without peace where sin is controlling our life. We want Jesus to be the focus of our life and that focus to be on him, not that focus on the worldly stuff. Let's keep going. Verses 16 through 21. And they begin to discuss with one another the fact they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, (coughs) Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet comprehend or understand? Do you still have your heart hardened? Having eyes, do you still not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, 12. When I broke the seven loaves, for 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you have picked up? And they said to him, seven. And he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? So I'm assuming some of you guys have planned a trip before, some sort of trip. Now, for me, I've planned a lot of youth events. And our last one was not, it was long ago, it was about a year ago, and it was tons of fun. When you plan a youth event, The first thing you plan for is where you're going. But the most important thing, especially junior hires, is the food. The food. It's important. Yeah, there you go. And so for this trip, 
we had gotten so much food. It was my first time ever buying, and I got, we had about 20 junior hires, and I had gotten two huge bags of green beans from Costco, two even larger bags of tater tots, and I think some french fries, and finally I got those things, the dino nuggets. I had 10 pounds of dino nuggets. <laughs> and they were dipping them in ketchup, barbecue sauce, mustard, ranch, and they just went through them. I think that's why the dinosaurs actually went extinct. The junior hires ate them all. <laughs> I don't know what else happened. But as a planner, I get the disciple side. I get the focus sometimes on the worldly things and, and making a point of what it is. But that's not what Jesus is telling him to focus on. He's saying, I'm here. I'm leading. I will provide. We see the disciples. They're freaking out about bread. And Jesus is standing there like, hello, did you not just see what I did? I fed 4,000. I fed 5,000 plus women and children from almost nothing, from just a few pieces of bread. And they had those spiritual blinders on where when God does something great, they're amazed at that time, but then they forget after. Can we be real, though? I think we do the same thing. I think we will have a hard time, and what we tend to do is we'll dig in to ourselves, or maybe we'll reach out to a friend just to reach out to a friend, but we don't go to God. And finally, when we have all other realms exhausted, we'll dig into God. And God will make it so amazing, he'll fix the problem, it'll be great, and you'll be so happy, so energetic, you'll be hands in the air, praising, you'll be walking around like you're the man, You're, and then it kind of levels out. You go on with life, and then you come into a problem again, and you get into that cycle. You go back into yourself. You go back that way, and that's not what we want to do. We want to put our life in God. We don't want to be so overly focused on these worldly things that we forget our soul. To uh, quote a Christian artist named Nate Feuerstein, he says it best in these lyrics. When I die, put my ashes in the trash bag. I don't care where they go. Don't waste your money on my gravestone. I'm more concerned about my soul. He's right. He's, he doesn't care about the worldly things, is what he's saying there that our focus should be what is happening with your soul, what is happening with your heart, not what's going on all around you. When, um, for me, it's similar, right? I'm 23. I'm, you know, in a bunch of different world spins right now. Where's my career going? Am I moving out soon? Am I supposed to get a new vehicle? What am I doing with my life? And I keep so focusing hard on everything else that I get to forget to focus on Jesus first, what he's telling me to do, that if in his will, he will provide. Uh, I think of the prophet Elijah. Elijah was probably one of the greatest prophets ever. He was an amazing dude who never died, went up to heaven, and he would do what God told him. He was told to tell, to stand up to the king, to stand up to the queen. He was also still told to stand up to multiple prophets of other gods and to the people of Israel. And he did it, knowing God would be there for him. As we look at 1 Kings 17, 2 through 6, this is what the Lord does for him. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here, turn eastward and hide yourself by the brooks of Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. 
You shall drink from the brooks. I have commanded the ravens to feed you. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brooks of Kareth, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brooks. Elijah obeyed God and knew if he was in his will, and he did it, that God would provide. It didn't matter what was going on around him. And that's what God did. God provided for Elijah. And, and what Jesus is showing his disciples is that he's the savior and that this worldly stuff doesn't matter in the greater scheme of things. That this stuff will all fade away. Look around, we have stuff fading away all the time. You see cars rusting, houses deteriorating, especially here in California, um, earthquake stuff. Jesus will always be there for you. He'll be there to help you, much like these people he healed. We're gonna look at someone he healed here in verses 22 through 26. So we get here, and they, being the disciples and Jesus, came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a man who was blind to Jesus and begged him to touch him. Taking the man who was blind by hand, he brought him out of the village, and after spitting in his eyes and laying his hands on, on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked, <coughs> sorry, and he looked up at him and said, I see people, for I see them like trees walking around. Verse 25, then again, he laid his hands on his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly, and he sent him home saying, do not even enter the village. So for those of you who don't know, Jesus would go around healing people all the time. So that was quite normal for him. He would go to a new village, he'd go to a new place, and word had gotten around that this Jesus dude heals people, and he would heal them. And they would bring him to him constantly. But we see in verse 24 that in this miracle, the guy can kind of see, but it's kind of foggy. And that parallels exactly with the disciples. They had been with Jesus for a while now. And they had learned his teachings and seen him done miracles. They had seen him, and they get the notion of who Jesus is. But they're still kind of foggy on the details. If you look back at the section, back at verse 18, you don't have to pull it up. Jesus comes out and he says, do you remember? Do you not see? Have you not heard? Disciples, disciples are having trouble with some of the concepts that Jesus is bringing to them. They're still foggy, which is fine. Because Jesus is going to make these concepts clear the more time he spends with them. The more they dig into him, learn about who he is, then it's going to be revealed to them. Much like it is for us. If you stay in his word and learning about him and praying to him, he's going to help clear up some of those details. In verse 25, we see how well Jesus knows the human body. The man was blind, which means chances are um, he would have not gone superpowers with his other stuff, but he would have put more focus into his other senses that they would have uh, been more important, obviously. So, you know, he would have had smell, taste, hearing, but most important would have been that, that sense of touch. That touch would have been important to the man. And it had been so important that Jesus knew it. He reached out to him perfectly by him putting his hands over him and on his eyes, it reassured the man that he would be healed. And it's so amazing that Jesus reaches out to these people on an individual level. We see it throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, we see it with Samuel, we see it with Moses, we see it with Isaac. We see it in the New Testament with Paul. He really reached out to a new, on a personal level with him. 
but he's also trying to do it with each of us. He's trying to help each of us in your life. And if you haven't allowed him to help you on that personal level, that's something you need to do. You need to allow him in. It's gonna change your life. It's gonna bring peace. After healing the man of sight in verse 26, he tells the man to go off quietly. Later on in verse 30, he'll say, he'll tell the disciples to not tell anyone. Have you ever thought why Jesus says that? He says it multiple times. Don't tell anyone. Don't, um, and he'll say, you know, be quiet. And what he's doing is he's showing his perfect timing. God has this perfect timing where everything develops and he's in control and Jesus knows this. He knows that he needs to spend more time with the disciples. We've clearly noticed that, that he needs to teach them more, that he needs to be able to allow them to grow. They're gonna plant the early church. Also, there's some prophecies that need to be fulfilled and he knows that everything works out into God's plan and he shows that God is always in control that everything works perfectly towards his plan. His plan for you is to know that he is savior overall. This is what he's trying to teach everyone. We're gonna move along, verses 27 through 28. Jesus went out along with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on his way, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, who do people say that I am? They told him John the Baptist. Others told him Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. So one cool thing about Jesus is he's not just the savior of all, but he's a great teacher. He's there to teach about everything. And <clears throat> as a great teacher, he would ask questions. I want you guys to think back to when you were in school. Some of you... It's gonna be a black and white image with silent sounds and words up there. That's okay. But I want you to think back to when your teacher would give you questions and you would answer them in class and the best thing ever would happen. She would give you candy. She would, it's amazing, right? She gave us candy. She made us even more uncontrollable. And she's trying to figure out your knowledge, trying to figure out, okay, where do I need to go with them? What do I need to nail down? Where do I need to go further? And that's what he's doing with the disciples. He's asking what they've heard. And later he's gonna ask, more importantly, what they think. I wanted to take a look at the three options real quick to show why they, uh, they are not Jesus the Savior. The first one that they respond with is John the Baptist. John the, Mapt John the Baptist was a man who cleared the way for Jesus. We know that he is <coughs> telling people to repent, turn towards God. He even baptized Jesus in the Jordan. Unfortunately, we lose John a few chapters earlier in Mark. He is, uh, loses his life, so we can't take that as the option. Next, we get Elijah. The Jewish community was, is waiting for Elijah. They're still waiting for Elijah. Elijah is to come, and he is to make a way for the Messiah. He is important. That's what the Jewish culture is waiting for. But we know as Christians that John the Baptist comes in the power of Elijah from this section in Luke, verses one, chapter 1, verses 17. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah 
to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom and the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That's what John the Baptist does. That's speaking of John the Baptist. He comes in that spirit and that power and he makes the way. So that one won't work. And finally, we get the one where it talks about the prophets, which is a decent answer, but they don't do what Jesus did. Jesus did miracles upon miracles upon miracles, and he forgave people of their sins. Jesus is so much greater than what they were looking for. They just had those blinders up. They weren't looking in the right place. They were so focused worldly that they weren't focused spiritually. Jesus goes then, and digs further, like a good teacher is going to do. He's gonna dig deeper into them. And he continues to question them. But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him and said, you are the Christ. And he warned them to tell no one about him. Peter got the answer perfect. He calls Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the one who is going to come. This is the whole Bible message in this little tiny verse. It's the fall that happens in Genesis, that sin, that thing that muffles up that relationship with God so that we can't have that perfect relationship and spend eternity in heaven with him. But Jesus comes, the Messiah, the one, God, 100% God, 100% man, he comes and he takes the punishment we deserve. And he takes a punishment that he didn't deserve. And he is the Messiah. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to give you peace. He wants you to enter heaven with him. He doesn't want you to be left out. Go to hell. A very horrible place. It's not gonna be a place where you get to hang with your friends. It's not gonna be a, a place of laughter and fun. It's not gonna be that place. We see this conversation actually a little expanded in Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 through 17. We get this. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has. God revealed that to Peter. He didn't just kind of come across it. God revealed that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior for each one of you and myself. He's the one true Savior. There's no way around it. And Peter took that wisdom and got the answer correct, that he should put no one on a pedestal before God, before Jesus, that savior of all, to get those blinders off, to put him first. And that's really what Mark is telling us here in this passage. Mark is telling us that unless you look to Christ, Jesus Christ, as your personal savior, you are blind looking for salvation in the wrong places. Today I'm gonna to ask you guys this. What are you making the savior of your life? Is it health? Maybe it's money. Maybe it's an accomplishment in your job. Maybe it's property. Maybe it's escaping life for moments of happiness that will fade away later. So again I ask, what are all of you making the savior of your life. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the fun we get to have afterwards and the fun we get to have with our worship band and just learning more and more about you. I pray for each and everyone in here that they would know who you are, that you are the savior, you bring peace. 
that you are there to help them. Lord, I pray that you take those spiritual blinders off, that you bring into focus <coughs> that you are the savior of all, that you should be the first one on that pedestal, not anything else. I pray that you are just able to bless us today and be able to bless everyone in here in a way that works well. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.